Well, good morning. If you're watching online or if you're here, I invite you to take your copy of God's Word. Open up to John 16. John 16. We're going to be looking at verses 4 to verses 15 this morning. And then next week, we'll finish up John 16, Lord willing. And then... <laughs> We get to, I get to preach John 17. I'm so excited about it. I just can't stand it. I'm already working on those messages. I'm so excited to get there. Uh, as you find your place, let me encourage you. As, as we seek to both show hospitality in our life and get to the gospel with people, I, I want to put something in your hands if, if you would like. I've got a few copies out there in the pastor's corner. This is just the basics of the Christian worldview. Uh, it was a book that we gave out actually to students when we did apologetics um, one, one summer. But there is nothing that I know of that will equip you better to have gospel conversations than to understand your worldview. That is the, the glasses, so to speak, that as a Christian the Lord puts on us so that we see all of life and all of people from a different view than the world and so I would encourage you that our class by the way which I'm teaching uh, starts back on August the 11th take your copy now and as we stand it is important as you stand to your feet to understand that this is not some kind of dead tradition stand with me as you stand we're not doing this because we do it every week what we are saying as we stand to our feet is when God's word speaks, God speaks. And so let us hear from our Lord this morning. John 16, beginning in verse 4. Remember, we're at the upper room discourse. The cross is right before our Lord. But I've said these things to you, that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I am going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. But when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is Mine. Therefore I have said He will take what is Mine and declare it to you. This is the very Word of God. Let's pray together. Lord, we have gathered as your people. Lord, either in person or through the internet now to hear from your word. To hear the very words of Christ. That which can calm us. That can encourage us. That can convict us. That can orient us. That can kiss us on the cheek and let us know how much we are loved. 
Lord, you have called us to live a life, a life that is on your mission. Oh, that we would be a people that is about our Father's business. Do that work in us today. Encourage the weary. Bind up the broken. Save the lost. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So remember, let us orient ourselves. What is the Lord doing? This is the upper room discourse. Some even call it the farewell discourse. He's preparing his disciples for death, for the cross, for his return to the Father, and for their mission. He's doing a lot in a small amount of time. The cross is just in front of him. He's letting them know you've, they've been chosen. And they've been chosen to bear, remember what we've been talking about, the fruit of the gospel in their life and share the message of the gospel with their lips. And yet last week we learned as they do this, as they bear the fruit of the gospel in their life, as they share the, the gospel with their lips, they need to prepare to be hated by the world. The very world that you are called to love, we are told in Scripture last week that the wet world will hate you in return. Love, hate. Put yourself in their shoes. I mean, what would you be taking away from this conversation? Death? Cross? You're leaving? I thought you were going to set up your kingdom and we were going to be in positions of power. You're going to kick the Romans out. thought this meant a prosperous life now. Instead, you're talking about death and cross and leaving. It made me think about a really traumatic experience in my life. I wouldn't say that I'm a hunter, but I used to like to hunt. I used to like to hang around people who knew what they were doing so I wouldn't get myself in trouble. So, so I would get times to go hunting with them back when I was young, when my hair was black. One time we went hunting to a piece of property. I had no, I've never been there before down in South Carolina. And uh, we used to go on a morning hunt, an afternoon hunt, and an evening hunt. I think this might have been the afternoon hunt. I'm not sure. But usually at around when we went back out in, in, uh, right after lunch, we would, we would walk through an area of the woods. You would put two guys at one end with shotguns, and you would walk through the woods to see if you couldn't jump up a deer, and, and they would run in that direction, and you know the rest of the story. Well, I was walking with a veteran guy, and he knew where he was and what he was doing, and I couldn't see him from where I was. All I knew, I was supposed to walk that way. But when I got to the other end, I looked around, and when the veteran guy had got through walking, he just went back to camp. The problem was that I had this uneasy feeling. I really didn't know where I was, and I really didn't know how to get back to camp. That feeling... Have you ever been lost? <laughs> I panic, desperate, scared, a little embarrassed because I probably should know where the road is. But I didn't. What did I need? I needed guidance. I needed help. I needed somebody to not leave me alone without the tools that I needed to navigate my situation. The reality. At that point in my life, I didn't care anything about hunting. All I wanted to do was get out of the woods. That's why they call this the farewell discourse. 
This is Jesus' point. I'm leaving. That's what they felt like. You're, you're about to leave us in the woods with no God. They were overwhelmed. And Jesus is in full preparation mode. There are no Pharisees at this point. There's no crowds. There's no Judas. There is only Jesus' disciples. Your main idea is on your notes at the top. Jesus reveals that after he leaves, he will send the Holy Spirit to convict the world and to guide us in truth in order to accomplish his mission. Three words in that main idea. If you're taking notes, I want you to underline or circle. Reveals, convicts, guides. That's what we're going to look at today. First, Jesus reveals he reveals and rebukes his disciples. Look at verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me. It's not the first time he said this. Jesus is leaving. Big picture. Jesus, in order for, for his kingdom to be inaugurated, to begin, he must die Rise again, ascend to the right hand of the Father where He will rule and reign until His return. That has to happen. That is our story. Disciples don't have a clue in any of that at this point. We've got the advantage here. They didn't. They're, they're just overwhelmed. Inwardly. They are so inwardly overwhelmed. There is no way they can process what Jesus is trying to tell them. And so he rebukes them gently. Can't study the life and the work of Christ without being overwhelmed and impressed and, and just, uh, just speechless over his patience. I mean, the cross is right there. He has a lot to try to get through these hard-headed disciples, and yet he is so patient. He continues in verse 5. He says, I'm going to the one who sent me, and none of you ask me where are you going. But because I have said these things to, things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. He said, I'm going. People are going to hate you, but keep telling them about me. <laughs> he said, you're not even asking the right questions. You're not asking where I'm going because you don't care. Sorrow has filled your heart, verse 6. You see, we respond naturally to things. But that does not necessarily make it right. This was natural. We would have been doing the same thing. It'd be like me in the woods. Say, what? You're leaving? Uh, no, that's not the way it worked. That's not the story my mom and daddy used to tell me the way this thing's going to work out. They are consumed, you see, with themselves. They are consumed inwardly in how what Jesus is saying is going to affect them. Never once did they bother to consider how it affected Jesus. What was he thinking? What was he feeling? What did this have to do with his big purpose? It would be like me finding out that the guy who left me out in the woods alone actually was attacked by a bear and was mauled and was airlifted. And I'm sitting there saying, Yeah, but, but why did he leave me? You know, I was really scared. Is that true? Yes. What's the problem? I'm so inwardly focused that I don't care about anything else going on outside of me. You see, this is part of the preparation. This is critical. There's something in life bigger than you. 
It's bigger than me. It's bigger than my problems. And listen, it is bigger than my inabilities. It is bigger than my weaknesses. It is more important than my comfort, than my convenience. It is the very souls of men. And yet, notice this. We have the advantage here again. Jesus doesn't completely reveal their mission to them. There's been no commissioning yet, right? We know that. We know Matthew 28 is coming because we've, we've read the end of the story here. He's doing some preparation. This is what we call progressive revelation. He is piece by piece letting them know what they need to know, not necessarily what they want to know. They're learning what it means to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Even before the cross. You see, that's the point. The cross had not happened, and the cross changed everything. Everything before it looks to it. Everything after it looks back. The cross changes everything. It will become the focal point. The death and resurrection of Jesus will become the focal point of the disciples' mission. They will be sent, so to speak, into the woods of this world as the messengers of the cross. And there to go without fear. Don't miss this this morning. If you get lost, if you feel lost, if you feel distracted in this life, and that happens, if it hadn't happened, tomorrow's coming. You're going to be afraid. You're going to be distracted. You're going to be frustrated. You're going to be confused. The cross is our north star. By the way, do you know how I got out of the woods? If you've been listening, you follow my analogy, you'll get this. You found the river. I found the river. That's how I got out. I found the creek. I followed it upstream, found the, found the road, went back to camp. The cross is our north star. It is the river that takes us home. Jesus reveals, I'm leaving he rebukes the disciples for their inward focus. But he says, God's got to know something. You've got a mission. And you're going to need divine help for it. Even before they understood what their mission was, before they could even form that in their mind, he begins to tell them, Holy Spirit's coming. Look at verse 7. The Holy Spirit will be sent by Jesus. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go away, listen, I will send Him to you. See, the choice is not between a present Jesus and an absent Jesus. The choice is between a Jesus present in body and a Jesus present in the Holy Spirit. You see, this is where our doctrine's important. The doctrine of the Trinity is one of the most important doctrines of our faith. Let me show it to you. Turn with me to Romans 8 9. It is absolutely no problem because God is three in persons, but yet He is one God, one in His very nature. To understand that for the Holy Spirit to come is for Jesus very, to be very much present in our life. Romans 8, 9. You, however, speaking to Christians here, remember Paul writes his letter to the churches. 
You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does, does not have the Spirit of who? Of Christ does not belong to Him. No contradiction there. One God, one Lord. Jesus is going to leave them physically, but is very much going to be with them through the, through the Holy Spirit. He's training them, you see. In order to grasp this mission, you have to be kingdom-focused rather than inward-focused. That's first. If you are inward-focused, you won't even see the mission. You will walk past the clerk at the grocery store, and you will not even see a soul made in the image of God. He's training them. He's saying this, and this is the question for the day. You, you're better off. That's what that word advantage is. to your advantage. That means you're better off for me to leave. Why in the world would we say that we're better off than when Jesus was with us? I mean, how many of us have not said, man, I'd like to have been there when, they, when Jesus was teaching and they pulled that roof down and let that guy down in there. And that's true. Here's what Jesus is teaching us. It's better for you to be alive now. How's that true? Two things I want, I want us to see is clearly in the text. The Spirit is going to work in unbelievers. That's verses 8 to 11. That's why. But not only that, the Spirit is going to work in believers. That's verses 12 to 15. The Holy Spirit first is going to work in unbelievers. The Holy Spirit will convict the world. That's the world we've been talking about since we started, John. That's the world that's going to hate you. See, that's why you need me. You're going to a mission to the world. The world's going to hate you, but don't fear. I will bring conviction to the world. Look at verse 8. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And don't miss this. Don't miss this. The Holy Spirit brings conviction to the world through the message of the disciples. The Holy Spirit works with His messengers doing what He has told them to do. Think about this this morning. Remember our question. Why is it better? Why is it better now with Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father than if He was sitting here on the front row this morning? Because right now, Muslims are being saved in Iran, in Africa, and in North America. Right now, we just got through praying this. There is a church among the Chorti who did not know Christ, who is worshiping the Lord this morning on a hill with a pastor saved because somebody declared the gospel to him. That's why it's better to be alive now. Because God is about His global mission, and we dare not miss being a part of it. It's what He's doing. He's saving. He's bringing conviction just as He promised to. What does that word mean, convict? It means to expose. Even convince. What is He going to do? He's going to convict of sin. Look at verses 8 and 9. 
And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, look at verse 9, because they don't believe me. That's the problem, isn't it? You ever tried to have a gospel conversation with somebody who's looking at you like you were an idiot? They don't believe. They don't want to believe. They have a vested interest not to believe. They're comfortable with their sinful life as it is. How in the world does anybody get saved? That's what the Holy Spirit says. It's to your advantage that the Holy Spirit come. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit does His work? I hope you know that from personal experience. But Acts 2, you remember, the gospel is proclaimed in Jerusalem less than two months after the death of Christ to those who said, kill him, persecute him. Peter stands up and preaches the gospel on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2.37 says, And now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And so listen as clear as I can. What he did not say is repeat after me. What he did not say is here a card. You just sign it and you're in. Take a class and you're in. The answer then is the same answer now. Repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's the only answer. It's the answer that was at Pentecost and it is our answer today. And if that is not our answer, we are not declaring the gospel. Psalms 51 says it looks like this. Verse 4. To be convicted of sin is to say, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. The Holy Spirit is like a skilled doctor that reveals the seriousness of your condition and then offers a remedy, but He does this through His messengers. As they declare the truth, the Holy Spirit does His work. He's not only going to reveal sin, He's also going to reveal righteousness. Do you see that? In verse 10, he, he explains, Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see Me no longer. You will not see My physical presence. So it's important for the Holy Spirit to conv convict the world of their sin and to reveal righteousness. What does He mean? Does, is He talking about revealing the true righteousness as found in Christ? Or does he mean he's going to reveal the insufficiency of your righteousness to save yourself? I would say yes. <laughs> when he reveals your sin, what he is going to reveal is that all your goodness is as filthy rags. Not sufficient to save you. You can't save yourself. No matter how many good deeds you do, it's not sufficient. And so, the Holy Spirit is going to reveal true righteousness that's found in Christ, and He's going to reveal counterfeit righteousness. Counterfeit righteousness. That righteousness that Jesus used to point to the Pharisees for. So this is critical. Jesus didn't come into the world to deal firstly, directly with problems of the economy. He did not come into the world to deal 
firstly, primarily with problems of politics. Why do preachers stand up here and be political? We've got a scripture, a gospel to proclaim. It's not why he came. Didn't come for psychology. Didn't come primarily to deal with the social issues of our day. Matthew 1.21 He came to save people from their sins. That's why He came. And listen, saved people aren't satisfied with enslaved people. Saved people aren't satisfied with, with people who are being abused. But helping abused people does not save. Only repenting of your sins and putting your faith in Christ saves you. For we need the righteousness that can only be found through faith in Jesus. Romans 3, 21. So many verses we could read right here, isn't it? Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets... Bear witness to it. Verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. He's coming to reveal sin. He's coming to... To reveal not only counterfeit righteousness, but that righteousness can only come through faith in Jesus Christ. He's also coming to reveal judgment. Now there's a lot we could say here, but look what he says. Verse 11, concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He's saying, what's about to happen? My life and my death and my resurrection is going to pull the fangs out of the serpent. It's going to, what's going to be accomplished at the cross is going to be a defeat for the ruler of this world. That's what's going to happen on the cross. He's going to defeat sin on the cross. He's going to defeat death at the resurrection. This is the good news that we can offer people. And maybe good news that you need to hear today. You do not have to buy what Satan is selling because he is a defeated enemy. He has been exposed for what he is and he has been defeated at the resurrection and the cross. We don't have to buy it anymore. I don't have to believe what he is telling me in my head and neither do you today. He's been disarmed, Colossians 2.15. He's put him to an open shame by triumphing over him. Jesus is concerned about the cross. He's pointing them to the cross. He's already told them this. John 12, 31, he says this, Now, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Why is it better to be alive today? Because the Holy Spirit is saving unbelievers as we bring the message. The Spirit brings redemption. But also, also, why is it better to be alive today? Because the Holy Spirit will guide believers into truth. He will guide them into truth. Look at verses 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Verse 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you 
into all truth. He's told them that in chapter 14. There is reminding that the Spirit is going to do. There is teaching. Here we see guiding. Remember what we said last week. The primary job of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness to Christ. And listen, by the way, when you see somebody else doing something and they're saying it's in the power of the Spirit and they're not bearing witness to Christ, they're a false teacher. The Holy Spirit's primary objective here is to bear witness to Christ. Therefore, what he's pointing to, and this is this just should astound us today. Therefore, what God is going to do through these ordinary men is bring about God's ultimate self-disclosure. His final expression. He's going to bring about for all of our people the truth, the very Word of God. He promises to send the Spirit of truth, the sort of as it will complete their education. Can't handle everything now. Remember, they're overwhelmed. There again, what is this pointing to? The unfolding nature of God's self-revelation. Here's what they couldn't get, but they are beginning to get, and what we must get, that Jesus Christ is the centerpiece of all revelation. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 says this, Long ago, and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He created the world. This is all about Jesus. This is all about Jesus. It's not about revealing our best life now. It's a revealing that God has called us to both the great commandment and the great commission in our life. Verse 13. When the Spirit comes, He will guide you into all truth, all the truth. For He will not speak of His own authority, but whatever He hears, He will speak. And He will declare to you, listen, the things that are to come. And so here we have this morning, in our very laps... In written form, the truth of Jesus. This is where we get our doctrine, what we believe. This is where we get how we understand what is the things that are to come. Why is that? Because Jesus himself is true. So he gives us his truth in written form. Augustine puts it this way. All truth is a God's truth wherever it's found. So truth comes to us through three primary ways. Creation, through the person of Jesus, and through Scripture. So what we're seeing Him, what He's going to do through the apostles, is going to put in written form the very words and doctrines and promises and plans of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is better to be alive today than then because we have God's full and final revelation given to us. So as we are brought 
to God's Word. We are brought there by the Holy Spirit for us to learn about the truth. Second Peter says this this way. You have everything you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who has called you to His own glory and excellence. In other words, be as clear as I can be. You don't need some guy this morning to stand up to you and tell you they got a word from God. What you need is to sit under the man of God who will proclaim the word of God and the truth of God and trust the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. That's what we have been given. That's why it is better to be alive today because we have all of God's word, both old and new, that all points to Christ and we get to declare it. We get to be part of the mission of God. For the Spirit has one aim. 14 and verse 14 and 15. He will glorify me. For He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I have said He will take what is mine and declare it to you. Just as the Son brought glory to His Father, so will the Holy Spirit seek and aim to bring glory to the Son. So we need not wonder who is experiencing the Spirit's power in their life. It is those who align themselves up and seek to glorify Jesus Christ that the Spirit will come alongside. When we live out the fruit of the gospel in our life, we are bringing glory to Christ. When we open up our mouths and speak the gospel, we are bringing glory to Christ. And any time those things come to bear in your life, the Holy Spirit says, I am there. I am there with you, for you, to guide you, and to empower you. How can we put all this together? The Spirit brings glory to God as He uses people to carry His Word to a lost world. That's what He's doing. That's what He promises. He promises to bring glory to God as He uses people. That's, that's us. Not only that, the Spirit brings glory to God as He guides us, His people, to truth through His Word. Through His Word. 2 Corinthians, we know this passage, 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation because of this. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So what today? I don't know any more important first step than the step he's giving the disciples this morning. Are you inward focused or kingdom focused? Maybe we shouldn't even say, am I distracted from my mission? 
but to ask the question, what is distracting you from your mission? <laughs> we live in a world where you only have to stop and do nothing to be distracted. What is distracting you from your mission? What is causing you to be more inward focused than kingdom focused? Can you see the great commandment? Can you even see it? Are you, or were you like me lost in the woods? You're just saying, how am I going to get out of here? Like somebody who learns how to survive in the woods so long, he forgets the fact that he's supposed to get out of the woods. We may not even see the great commandment that we are supposed to love our neighbors as ourselves. And if we do, if we don't, if we don't love each other well, and we don't love our neighbors well, we'll never have the opportunity for the Great Commission. What's in the way? Is it anxiety? The fear of, like I was in the woods. Am I overwhelmed by grief? That's what the disciples' problem. If you want to see what that looks like, just follow them into the garden and you'll see disciples that are dead asleep. Why were they dead asleep? Because they were absolutely emotionally exhausted from what was going on. It happens. It is a natural response. This is why biblical counseling can help you. This is where we are and where we're struggling. Why is... Why, can I, why would I recommend at this point in life that maybe if you're struggling and you can't see the Great Commandment nor the Great Commission trying to survive, that maybe you need to get biblical counseling either here or from a biblical counselor somewhere else? Because it's simply it's no magic bullet, brothers and sisters. It just brings the person and the Word of God alongside of you. That's what it does. Here's the point. We cannot enjoy the benefits of the Holy Spirit if we deny the means of the Holy Spirit. We cannot enjoy the benefits promised by God's Word and the Holy Spirit if we deny His means. Listen, the Holy Spirit uses people. He don't have to. He just chooses to. No community. No peace. No community. No power. No community. No guidance. The Holy Spirit uses people. And the Holy Spirit uses Scripture. So we can say the same thing. No scripture, no peace. No scripture, no power. No scripture, no guidance. You need both. Listen to me this morning. There is two things that you should never compromise in your life. Biblical community and the truth of God's word. When you find a place that declares God's word and find community, you have found your home. Had a little bit more time. I don't spend much time in the car. I know a lot of you drive around a lot. I don't normally. But I was helping my daughter move, and I was find myself in the car some more. I was listening to Skip Heisig. I believe I'm saying his name right. I had to look it up this morning. And uh, I was listening to him on the radio, and he said something that caused me to add an application point here in my sermon. I've been thinking about it. It kept me up last night, so I'm not using the text that's in, in your notes. He said this talking about joy he said joy is a choice it's like of course you know he worked out a whole message you'll have to look him up if you want to listen to it I'm not going to preach it you can just relax you could say it this way the Holy Spirit uses believers who resolve to bear the fruit of the Spirit for the glory of Christ they resolve to it that's the word we've been using lately hasn't it 
It's a resolve. Let me show it to you. Philippians 1, and we're done. Paul's in prison. Some people are growing because he's in prison. Some people have been encouraged. Some people are criticizing him. Sort of like opening up YouTube and seeing people who make a living making fun of other Christians. Paul's being both happening to him. And here was his response. Philippians 1, look at verse 18. Responding to people who are criticizing him because he's been put in prison for the gospel. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. So ask yourself as we read this a question. Paul's in prison, writing a letter to the church. Is he inward-focused or kingdom-focused? Look at what he says. Yes. Here's his answer. And in that I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. This is what got me. Verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Do you see it? He is embracing a resolve, a confidence that I don't know what's going to happen. He goes on to say, listen, they could kill me. Maybe they won't. Either way, I will rejoice tomorrow morning. He resolves that today. you got to resolve this morning. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to rejoice in my Jesus. you got to resolve that. And listen, what else? What else do you need? Look at verse 19. You need the prayers of God's people and the power of God's Spirit. The prayers of His people. Or in other words, you need, you need the Lord, you need the Word, you need His people, and you need the power of the Spirit. But we must make a choice. Today, it is my prayer that we would resolve to bear the fruit of the Spirit, no matter the season you're in, no matter the circumstances you're in. And it is that, that the Spirit of Christ will meet you right where you are. And so now, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to respond in worship. We're going to come to the tables. We celebrate communion every week here. <laughs> no matter how bad that sermon just was, there's good news today. We get to come to the tables. We get to remember that we have a community called the Church of God. Because Christ came and dwelt in our community and died for us. We get to celebrate the fact that we get to be part of His mission because we have been redeemed. And so let us gather, let us give, and let us sing. Lord, now, we come to make much of You. Lord, it is our prayer we have been doing this already. So we've heard the truth of your word proclaimed, you have encouraged us, you have convicted us, you have even oriented us. And now, Lord, we pray for the Spirit of Christ to dwell richly in your people. That they would be equipped and encouraged and strengthened and empowered to do that which you have set before them no matter the circumstances in their life. And so now we come with open hands to be filled with your grace, to come to your tables to remember all that we have and all that we are we have from you. 
to look back to the cross and to remember the devil has no claim on us for we are the children of God. God our Father, I don't know anything else that should make us want to sing. And so Lord, we now give you all that we have, our worship and our very life as we leave. In Jesus' name.